Yo. Hey, hey. How are you doing over there? I'm good. I'm good, yo. We're still pretending to be on vacation while continuing to uh, produce content, but that's cool. <laughs> that's cool. Update. Update. We're going to keep this vacation thing going, I think, and come back in September yeah. since we've been doing content here and on our Patreon. Patreon. So if yeah. you're not a Patreon subscriber, please follow us on a Patreon so that you can keep up with how we've been, what we've been doing. We did two Patreon episodes in July. We did one at the start of this month, then we're going to do another one later this month. So definitely, if you're not following us on Patreon, follow us there. Word, word. So we're still on vacation. Allegedly. (laughs) Allegedly. (laughs) Allegedly. I mean, we're going to continue taking this time to share other podcasts and to share our favorite episodes from the BBB, the Black Baddie Bad Bitch Podcast Brigade, the Bees Change all the time. I personally like to say... Beep, 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 beep. Like I like to bop, bop, oh bop. I like to, I like to put off shots. <laughs> I like it it that way. Okay. That's fine. That works. (laughs) Um, But that's our podcast collective, which includes our friends over at Queer Walk Podcast, Marsha's Plate, In a Hole Uprising, Bag Ladies, and then honorable mention to Janita over at In Those Jeans Podcast. And also a little Juju Podcast, our extended podcast family, family fam bam that's right this week we are highlighting queer walk the podcast we talked about the passing of our friend nikita slade earlier this summer and nikita slade was one half of queer walk the podcast money's best friend money is the other half of queer walk podcast our good friend and a leftist lesbian luminary nikita passed away in may but the back catalog of queer walk the podcast is full of evergreen content political education mental health tips from the homie money who is a whole entire doctor and certified mental health professional money may decide at some point to continue podcasting not everyone can do a solo podcast but money started off as a solo podcaster and she was quite good at it i've listened to people podcast solo and it hasn't been great i've tried to do it against i didn't want to do it i had to do it i tried to do it i don't love doing i hope to be good at that one day mm-hmm. but that's not currently in my the list of skills that i had that is a skill to it be is. able to sit yeah. and talk like people is in the room with you mm-hmm. and like it's not even radio when it's actually people listening to you live when you podcasting by yourself you are for real talking into the yeah. void it's a lot of, to share with am people am i right later. am i right right <laughs> am i right <laughs> Yeah, I haven't mastered that yet. But yeah, money has always been good at that. Yeah. So now that Nikita is on the other side of life, money may choose to continue podcasting. She may do a different podcast. We're not sure exactly what direction she's going to take and we support her in whatever she decides. But like we said, in the meantime, money and Nikita created something dope and there's a whole backlog worth of valuable educational black lesbian audio syllabus worth listening to so we wanted to make sure that we shared an episode of queer walk the podcast so that you could see if you have not yet listened to that podcast you can see what you've been missing you can tap into that backlog and learn from our friends Mm -hmm. learn a lot it's a lot of information it's a lot lot. it's a lot and i've had to listen to several of those episodes more than once Mm -hmm. like to fully get okay what is happening what is happening (laughs) What are the politics here? What's happening? But no, it's a dope podcast. So what is Queer Walk the podcast? So Money and Nikita are two black. And just so y'all know, like we're going to talk like Nikita is still here. 
with yeah. us. Yeah. I still listen to those episodes. Nikita lives on in the podcast, in my mind, in my heart. Yeah, like Jay and I were talking about podcast money shit, and I'm like, Nikita is here because I wouldn't know. Yeah. I don't think I would have said those things in that conversation. We both have said those things, but I don't even think mm-hmm. we would have been like to the forefront of our conversation in that way. Right. If not. Yeah, no, her spirit is definitely here with us for sure. So anyway, so just know throughout this podcast, we are going to talk throughout this episode as if, for the most part, as if Nikita is still here with us because she is. So what is Queer Walk the podcast? Money and Nikita are two black queer troublemakers on this bi-weekly insurgent audio syllabus that unites ignites oh wait this is where they do that thing that queer walk does where they're rhyming or they're doing alliteration mm-hmm. or there's some some other tongue twister well, but anyway is a hip-hop artist at heart so, <laughs> so that's true 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 all right so it's a bi-weekly insurgent audio syllabus that unites ignites and excites the queer women of color community queer walk is a space for queer women and folks of color rooted in reimagining healing organizing and community so let's get into who money is and then who nikita is so money in addition to being our homie is a couple and relational therapist co-host of queer walk the podcast and a self-identified black queer troublemaker from New York. With a PhD in marriage and family therapy, her work focuses on queer and trans women in communities of marginalized racial identities. She has presented both locally and nationally on topics related to queer women of color couples and mental health. Aside from research and clinical work, Money takes pride in twerking wherever the beat moves her to and creating healing spaces for Quilt Bang POC. And if you're not sure what Quilt Bang is, look that up. It is an acronym. Nikita, Nikita is your curmudgeon but friendly neighborhood proletarian black feminist from the South. She has been involved in organizing and activism for the past decade. She's been active in fights for environmental, reproductive, labor, and racial justice in Texas and New York. Nikita also presented at a number of conferences locally, nationally, and internationally on black feminism, Marxism, labor, and gender. When she's not rabble-rousing, she's listening to disco, Philadelphia soul, 80s R&B and other old school jams and tinkering in her makeshift basement workshop in true dyke fashion. Nikita, what is rabble rousing? That is such a Nikita <laughs> fucking thing to descriptor. Like some old nigga shit. <laughs> rabble rouser. That that's that's who Nikita was though. Word, word, word. So how Queer Walk started. Queer Walk actually started as a Tumblr page created by Money. And this was a page mm-hmm. that she created to highlight queer women of color, queer people of color as well. And, and it that was page had a big ass fucking following. Huge like following. if you remember way back in the day when Tumblr was like the shit. <laughs> Yeah, so that page already was doing a lot for people in the Mm -hmm. queer community before, like, it even ignited into a podcast. So then it grew into the podcast that Money hosted alone. And that's how we met Money, as a single podcaster, shit like Mm -hmm. that. And then one time, Money had done a live episode of Queer Walk Podcast at the... 
what is it, Bonfire Audio Festival, and they had mm. Nikita there as their guest for that episode, and that's the first time. If you go back to the episode, where our appreciation episode for Nikita, you'll hear how we met her, but that is how we mm. met Nikita, and yeah. the chemistry for Nikita just being the guest on Money's podcast, it was like, that needs to be a co-host, bitch. Like, mm-hmm. <laughs> that needs to be a co-host. And then Nikita later became the co-host, and then that grew into the podcast that we know and love today. Facts. Yeah. So, Money and Nikita, I'm getting a little emotional. Um, as we said, we're not going to talk about Nikita and past tense, that person. That's just not something that I, I'm not there yet. Like, so... Mm-hmm. You know, just had to say that again. But Money and Nikita are best friends and they like love each other dearly. They met while Nikita, I don't know if Nikita was still attending Syracuse University or not, but Money was there getting her education on. I know that that is what brought Nikita to the Syracuse area mm-hmm. was the education shit. And they met and then it was just like, I guess, friendship, soulmate shit since then. And you hear that on the show. You hear that a lot on the show. They do have a lot of that sibling-like kind of back and forth that I can relate to. You know how you could only talk to your sister like that, but nobody else can? Mm -hmm. Or Mm -hmm. they have that dynamic. They have that relationship going on. And you hear it on the show and between all of their other smart shit. These bitches are smart, (laughs) y'all. Mm-hmm. But between all of that smart shit, and you hear the little back and forth of like siblings, they're kind giggling, of like, yes. they're roasting yes. each other, hardcore yes. roasting each other. They're making each other laugh. They're embarrassing each other. Yes. They're making each other blush. It's really, uh, it's delightful, it for is. lack of a better word. It it's is. fucking delightful. It's, like, it's really cool. And so, while I love this podcast, it's mostly the only time that I listen to podcasts that has, I guess, academic jargon that mm-hmm. doesn't make me feel disconnected from what the fuck is happening and what they're saying Mm -hmm. and then it also helps me still understand i guess what the black academic feminists are saying so i can still stay connected to like what they're Mm -hmm. doing even though i'm not actively highly engaged and i guess for what i'll say for lack of a better word like black feminist thought in the academic space in the academia space but it still allows me to like have a peek in on like okay if they do talk about this and i'm looking at listening to a lecture i know what they're talking about because Okay. A lot of times, queer white kind of bridges that stuff for me because I know that I can be generally dismissive of some of okay. that because I'm so that's like, what I was going to ask because I and, like, right. don't really because I know you. What you're saying right now is that you're disconnected from it, but I know that you understand what those niggas are saying. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah, of course I do, but I like the way that the way that I do it is the way that I feel comfortable. The way that I kind of prefer. So I don't feel so like I'm listening to a fucking audio book, which I I do. But I don't feel like I'm listening to an audio book. I don't feel like I'm being talked at. (laughs) Mm -hmm, I don't feel mm -hmm. like... You feel like they put it in real life terms. Yes. It's like, like yeah, exactly. Real life terms. And also, they're not assuming I don't know. They're just talking to me like... Right. You know, it's I don't know. It's just different. So I've, I just mm-hmm. kind of always like that and appreciate it the way that they kind of do that. Because like you said, there's a lot of information in their podcast. Right. And you could like easily like get lost. I think I'm not as lost because mm-hmm. of their personalities, because of some of the very relatable language that they use. Like, you know, the stuff like that. So I don't ever feel mm-hmm. lost in the source. I might have to listen to an episode again yeah. because of the amount of information. But I don't have to like, I don't know. I don't feel talked that. 
And I appreciate mm-hmm. that. <laughs> you mm-hmm. know, that's important. Mm-hmm. It's also helpful for me because they do a lot of expressing about like queer erasure, particularly black queer erasure, which I, mm-hmm. most black people have experienced a lot. But I know within my family, I'm realizing and pointing out like, hey, we, we do this on purpose here. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so mm-hmm. I like I like that I have a, a place and an outlet to learn about certain things and certain people that I probably wouldn't have known about otherwise. Right. So I appreciate them a lot for that. And then, you know, money and the therapy, it makes it not and the therapy, but that's how I feel. Like, it doesn't feel like therapy. It's just like Mm -hmm. this natural kind of thing. And she gives so many tips for people. Not everyone has access to therapy in a ways that we keep saying, go to get therapist, get a therapist, get a therapist. But the access isn't there for that. So I do like in her segment that she does give tips and doesn't just say like, go to therapy at the end of each mm-hmm. thing. It's like, here are some tips for soothing, blah, blah, blah. And here are some tips for this. And here are some tips for that, which I think is helpful for people who don't have access. Of course, it's not replacing a mental health professional or whatever the fuck. But at mm-hmm. least it's like a tool for you. I like tools. I like when people give people tools. Like, don't just be like, you know, whatever. I like that. And then I mentioned this in our appreciation episode for Nikita, but I'll say it again. Nikita has helped me not throw away words. <laughs> I have a tendency to when something becomes a trendy thing, I'm like, and it's like, no, Mm -hmm. there's context. There are people who specifically chose this language in the organizing space or liberation space. And they were really good at making sure I know I know the word wasn't for me, but I felt like Nikita was making sure like, bitch. This is why this word exists and this is why it's here. Don't mm-hmm. throw this shit away. So I've like, mm-hmm. those are the things that I love a lot about that show. I am a person who likes to learn and I just feel really safe learning there because it was fun also. Mm-hmm. And while I didn't feel talked at and all this other stuff when I listen to, listen to other things that are kind of in yeah. that realm, you know, like they dead ass was a syllabus, but a syllabus that I could fuck with. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, so what are some things you liked about the show? I, I, I feel like I said mad shit. <laughs> um, no, 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 you did. You did say mad shit. You did say mad shit. I liked that. I liked the balance. I liked the balance between money being a therapist and Nikita being a whole entire socialist. Mm-hmm. I liked that they were both incredibly knowledgeable in their areas of expertise. I like that they both nerded out about black queer history. They hit me to a lot of shit. I really appreciated that shit a lot. I appreciated the balance. I appreciated the density of the black queer history that was infused into the podcast. Mm -hmm. Queer politics, heavy on the queer politics, heavy on the socialist vibes. I like that a lot. And it helped me to connect the dots of a lot of things. So sometimes I would listen to an episode of Queer Walk, listen to it, be introduced to a new concept or some shit, or they would expand on a concept that I had already heard or whatever. And then... In my life, since I'm always, you know, consuming content, absorbing information, listening to books and podcasts and shit like that or whatever, I would hear something and be like, oh, they talked about this on the podcast. Mm -hmm. And because the episodes would be so full of information, I could go back and it would sound like the first time I ever heard of it. So Mm -hmm. sometimes I'd be like, yo, Nikita, I just, you know, learned about this socialist motherfucker, ABC or whatever. I'm sure y'all talked about him on the podcast. What episode was that? And then go back and listen Mm -hmm. to that episode and really 
just be able to connect the dots in this way that I would not have before yeah. without their podcast. That's definitely happened a few times where we're like in our group chat, like, oh, this shit. And they're like, oh, we talked mm-hmm. about it episode, this, that. We're like, oh, shit. Right. Then, yeah, that has happened a lot. Yeah. yeah so there'll be a lot of moments where I'm like, oh, that's what they were saying. Mm-hmm. And then go back and listen to it or whatever. Eat Like, even if I didn't remember when they talked about it, I know they talked about this yeah. shit. Like, there's mm-hmm. no way that I'm being introduced to some new black queer shit and they haven't already discussed it on Queer Walk Podcast. Word, word, word. So I really like that. I like the way that they talk about black queer shit. You know, we're living at this stage. There are a lot more black queer folks podcasting now. There's a lot more information on black queer history being shared within the podcast space so there's more of that now but at the time like when i first discovered this podcast and it's still really cool to get these deep dives on black queer history that shit is important and it's so often erased from general black history that it is really important that we have a space where like this is what we do here Mm -hmm. you know what i'm saying this is what they do on that podcast and also specifically like the focus on black lesbians like that shit is incredibly important Mm so i appreciate it that shit a lot anything else before we get into the episode that we're sharing this week nah that's that's all my things all my thing dope dope so this episode we're sharing is it's queer walk episode 99 called black feminist militants so this episode they do a queer walk of the week and highlight an important black queer figure in present day Mm -hmm. that was really interesting they do a mental moment with money money goes into what you can do when you can't afford therapy which i think is really important like you need that shit yes that's practical (laughs) shit that like we could all use Mm -hmm. nikita does a political word on karen lewis and talks about labor unions they then go into someone sends in a letter about navigating moving from a dating relationship into a friendship and doing political work together so they have a really good conversation on that because sometimes you date people we're in these movement spaces fucking Mm -hmm. dating each other and then how do you exist after that happens so that's a really good discussion and then they get into their personal dating Dating. wins and woes it's a really well-rounded fun fun episode yeah dating stories there is interesting and funny so i enjoyed that a lot please enjoy this episode of queer walk podcast we encourage you to listen to it follow them on social media you can follow queer walk pod at queer w-o-c p-o-d and if you want to follow money you can follow her personal account and this is both on instagram and twitter so that's queer walk pod on instagram and twitter and then money is at better than money on instagram and twitter and that's better b-a-t-t-a then t-h-a-n money m-o-n-e-y so definitely follow them if you enjoy this episode feel free to subscribe tag them tweet them subscribe yeah listen to the back catalog and support money if she returns to podcasting yes. you know whatever she decides to do we support her the void that nikita left like that shit will never be filled there's nothing that can be done to fucking fill that void it's a wrap Mm, for that so we have this we have this amazing catalog of money and nikita doing this awesome podcast together savor that shit cherish that shit learn from that shit and we look forward to whatever money decides to do next enjoy this episode of queer walk the podcast what up, y'all? Welcome to Queer Walk, the podcast, the insurgent bi-weekly audio syllabus for and by queer women of color, queer folks of color, you know, uh, we all family. I am Money, the sleepless sapphic, because we're recording at like two in the morning. Oh, 
Well, I'm just going to bite off you, and I'm going to say, I'm Nikita, and I am the the tired, tight honey. <laughs> tight? Yeah. Okay, Nikita. Oh, not not in that. Oh, my God. You're just disgusting. What? You're you, sick. You're the one who said. Sick. You the one who called yourself a tight honey, okay? Okay. All right, let's just drop the intro before you say anything else more vulgar. Love your chocolate demeanor and your cocoa kisses. I see your flow from a distance. Your vibe incite my submission. I give you all of me. Wanna make you proud of me. We see the God in all you do. Your light is harmony. Hey, every type, darkest night, brightest light, I'm loving your soul. They hate you, replace you, take you, but know that you go. Worldwide, every continent, I just want you to jig a little bit. Move them hips, feel that bliss. Hug your sister, make a fist. Don't resist your temptation. You amazing, no limitation. My favorite in this matrix, we move by your vibration, and that's love. I hope you hear that on the daily, cause baby, you love. I hope you hear that on the daily, cause baby, you love. I hope you hear that on the daily because baby you love you love all right nikita well this is episode 99 we have 99 episodes and well you have more like 69 but sure why would you say that number (laughs) um what do you mean you know doing the math no you weren't doing the math you started around episode thirty. Episode no, thirty. You're just two. a pervert. You're you, did. A, you know what? You should have been. You should have been the stark raving pervert because that's what you actually are. <laughs> I feel like I have sixty nine episodes of evidence that uh, you are actually the pervert. But Nobody. Sure. No, that's just so wrong. <laughs> All, right. All right, Nikita. Anyway, I was saying that this is episode ninety nine because. Our next episode will be our 100th episode. That's huge. That's amazing. That's huge. What, you know, when queer things hit a milestone, it just hit different. It really does. (laughs) You all can find us on Instagram and uh, Twitter at QueerWalk, P-O-D. You all can find us on Facebook, uh, sometimes, (laughs) (laughs) Facebook.com slash QueerWalk, P-O-D. You can also find us on Tumblr, where this whole thing began, QueerWalk.com. Oh, and you can also always find us in our Gmail, which is oh. QueerWalkPod at gmail.com. So if you have a suggestion um, of a topic, because we really do scrape the bottom of the barrel for that sometimes... We don't really. It's just that our social uh, lives don't really overlap. And so a topic that I would be really excited about, Nikita has never heard of. Like, give me an example. Give me an example. Um, uh, I was going to ask you about this, like, TikTok about fems buying straps i saw i saw that you posted that so we could have talked about that i posted it what you're in my social world (laughs) was it was it in your twitter feed before me i don't think that's any of your fucking business (laughs) 
My timeline is just that. My timeline. Anyway. Anyway, if you want to send me a long missive about how... What the heck is on your timeline? That's none of your business. If you want to send an email about how I am your favorite co-host and how money also gets on your nerves, again, you can send that to QueerRockPod at gmail.com. I like how you real comfortable on this mic, even though this is not your 99th episode. (laughs) You know what? It's my 69th episode, according to you. Which mm-hmm. means I'm still having a good time. But ow! <laughs> okay. Did you say where folks could listen? Nope. I don't even know what you talk about. No, okay. you. I didn't tell people where they could listen because you did not ask. So now that you've asked, I'll tell you. You can listen to us on Pocket Cast, Stitcher, SoundCloud, and other major available in other major platforms where you can listen to podcasts except for Spotify. All right, money. When you're not getting on my nerves, you're the Stop co- Stop saying I get on your nerves. I don't get on your nerves. I give you life. You live. Okay? Well, I think that I think that honor goes to somebody called my mother. <laughs> so maybe you want to take that up with her. Are you done? Because I think she would have a lot of things to say about that. All right. All right. Okay. Anyway, I'm glad glad we could uh, agree on that. So, anyway, Money and I are the co-hosts of this illustrious, illuminating, insurgent bi-weekly audio syllabus. Leave the alliteration to me. Nope. You don't have a monopoly on it. But. That's assonance. The repetition of a vowel sound. Oh, ass what? Why are you talking nasty? I'm not talking nasty. Assonance? Why do you do this every time I use a word? Because you're saying assonance. Uh, Yes, that's what it's called. The repetition of a a vowel sound. Yeah, the repetition of that. Anyway, I don't even know what I'm talking about. You're talking about asses and stuff. Anyway, can you tell people how to contribute to this? podcast before you get into more nasty stuff i sure can uh if y'all would like to contribute any assonance to this here program which is not a dirty word yeah uh, right you could hit us up on all the things and love us out loud um by doing the r's you can rate us you can review us you can request a topic you can repost when we post the episodes. You can retweet when we're on the Twitter streets. And you can reply. Tell us what you think of the episodes using the hashtag QueerWOC on all the things or hashtag QueerWOC, P-O-D, QueerWalkPod. Um, either one. We'll see it. And other folks will see it. Um, that is a major way you can contribute to us. And if you have any Curved Chronicles or questions that you would like to hear me and Nikita uh, answer if you want to send us like a audio celebration of having a hundred episodes and we'll include your voice on this here podcast you can send that to queerwalkpod at gmail.com all right the second way that you can help us out and maintain queer walk is by giving us your money and you can do that one of two ways the first way is uh just a single time donation over on the Cash App, dollar sign Queer Walk Pod, P-O-D. Uh, no amount is too small or too big over there. 
or you can become a monthly sustainer of the program by becoming a patron at patreon.com slash queerwalkpodpod. I am so excited for the uh, patron exclusive content that's going to be coming this year. So um want to make sure that you're on one of the tiers so that you can have access to that patron exclusive content. We have some suggested donations over there. Are you ready to move on along? Insufferably so. <laughs> oh my gosh. I'm going right. to toss Nikita off of a, a very high curb. All right. We're going to move it on along to the Queer Queer of the week segment. Y'all see how she just has no rhythm, slowed it down completely. Just I chopped and screwed it. You no, no, no. Okay. Queer walk, queer walk. We don't need I nobody has ever enjoyed the chopped and screwed version better than the original. Okay. That's not true. All right. Shut up, Texas. Um, thank you. All right. So can you tell folks what the Queer Walk of the Week segment is? Yeah. So the Queer Walk slash Queer Pack of the Week segment is the segment uh, where we give the roses. We just, you know, give roses to a Queer Walk or a Queer Pack who's been doing something worth celebrating. Uh, it's laudatory and admirable. And as I've been prone to say, um... You know, we shouldn't have to wait until, you know, we become ancestors or, you know, long after we're alive to receive our roses. We should receive our roses while we're, while we are still alive. And so that is the expressed uh, purpose of this here segment. Agreed. And today is no different. So I'm going to go ahead and give us the Queer Walk of the Week for this episode um, someone who is still with us. So, um, I realized that this was the first episode of Black History Month for us, like, very late in the game. <laughs> like, as we were getting ready, I was like, oh, snap. This is our first episode of Black History Month 2021. Um, and I think that we hear, like, some of the, you know, like, usual names during Black History Month, um, even queer Black history. Yeah. And so I just wanted to highlight somebody that um, maybe um, some of us have not been familiar with her work and her contributions. So this week, uh, Black History Queer Walk of the Week goes to Trish Milanez Zico. So... Like I said, still living legend among us. Yes. <laughs> um, and I just think it's so important. Like, uh, you know, I thought about, I was like, we Black history is being made like every day. Because every day. the fight to suppress our like brilliance is real. So let me tell you a little bit about how Trish is making, has made, and continues to make Black history. So she's originally from New Jersey. Um, and she first made history as a high school senior when she became the first woman to be awarded a basketball scholarship to Monmouth College in Jersey. Um, So this is the first woman, not the first black woman. You know, this is like, period. period. Oh, wow. Um, And I would just like to highlight for uh, the 
the sports people out there that this is a D1 team, you know? So we're we're not talking about no uh no play play bullshit ass team, all right? Yeah. So- <laughs> Monmouth. Yeah. And I dare say like uh like a Yukon, right? A D1? It's the same tier. Yeah. I don't I don't think you could say that any women's basketball team is like Yukon. I mean, come on. I may be in some years Tennessee, but like oof. It's UConn. Okay, I I was trying to be a part, and I then know. I don't I don't even I know. know what Tennessee team. Anyway, let's hear more about Trish. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so uh, so Trish went on to major in computer science and graduated from Monmouth in seventy nine, nineteen seventy nine. Uh, she then worked as a software developer. For 15 years. And in 1988, she began working with this little, you know, tech startup company, maybe y'all have heard of, called Microsoft. Um, which. <laughs> what is wrong with you? <laughs> which, uh, just side note, uh, Trish got coin, okay? She was, she was one of the first employees of Microsoft. And, uh, um, as you'll hear later, uh, The coin is plentiful over there. So uh, she was committed. So after after getting on um, with the Microsoft team, she would just like look around and realize that she was the only queer person a lot of times. She was the only black person very often. And in one of the interviews that I'll link in the episode notes, she talked about the black tax that came along with that position where she would often have to do things outside of her job description, like go to job fairs to be like the black face. Yeah. Yeah. So the company, yeah. So the company would look more, you know, diverse than it actually actually was. was. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, whoo, so many of us in our industries know that black tax. So, um, so she, she was really vocal about this at Microsoft and quickly became the company's first senior diversity administrator. Um, and so really pushed for Microsoft to be, to hire and, and, uh, support more black and queer, um, tech folks. She left Microsoft in 1996. She, she basically says that she got tired of being, doing that pushing, right? And, and being the only voice. Um, but she continued to see that there was a persistent lack of diversity in tech jobs. So she took matters into her own hand and did what so many, like the a legacy of black women have done. I'll do it myself. And create, <laughs> yeah, I fuck it. I'll do it myself and created her own tech school for black kids in K through eight. Um, and so I just want to read a little bit about, uh, the school. All right, so Trish uh, became co-founder of the Technology Access Foundation, which is based in Seattle, um, out here in my neck of the woods this time. Uh, and it's a Seattle-based organization that's designed to provide STEM um, skills to children of color. So she became the full-time like director and like you know doing all the functioning for this thing after leaving Microsoft. And, um, she has contributed, she's continued to contribute over $150,000 a year to wow. uh, the Technology Access Foundation. 
So, like I said, Trish got coin. So, the whole goal of the program that she created, uh, which is like a training school within itself, is to increase math and tech literacy for kids in K through eight. And something that she found is like, I think, uh, I think we were actually talking about this when we were all at South by Southwest, but it's not that black kids or kids of color are any less interested in tech industries. It's just the, the tech gap, right? So not having computers at home. Yeah. Not, not having graphing calculators, all this stuff. Right. So she, she has aimed every year to take on about 70 kids in K through eight and close that tech gap. Um, she teaches them, the program teaches them things from everything from programming to how to, uh, develop your own, uh, website, um, college, college entrance and access stuff, because that, that is also a place where kids of color drop off, like the, the leap from high school to college. Um, she's funded about, uh, 200 five to 12 year olds to take computer classes uh over the over, since um the program started wow. in 1996 so yeah she she aims to be like the lead program in preparing african americans to go into tech industries so okay trish right <laughs> And so if all of that wasn't enough, I just wanted to end this uh, Queer Walk segment uh, celebrating Trish with two major accomplishments. So first, in 2018, she won the Crossout Courage Award in technology for her contributions to the field um, and was awarded an honorary doctorate uh, from Seattle University for her contributions to the tech industry as well. So... Shout out to Trish uh, creating uh, virtual lanes for us as Black queer folks. And and I'll link uh, the article that Crosscut did on on Trish in the description to this episode. Okay. Oh, my gosh. Thank you so much for uh, uh, illuminating all of these these wonderful little tidbits and insights about Trish. You're welcome. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> but black history is alive all right so we're gonna move it along to the mental moment with money i bet you're wondering what in the hell is the mental moment and who is money i'm gonna nobody tell you. is wondering yes they could they could nobody <laughs> they could be okay. wondering that Actually, they they come for the money, okay? They come for me. One for the money, two for the show. (laughs) No, I'm going to call this the mental moment with Dr. Money, LMFT. So, the mental moment... The mental moment with money is the crown jewel of our show, in my opinion. And it's the segment where... Oh, God, I'm, I'm really trying not to go on a rant here. Why would you rant about the mental moment? Because there's a lot of grifters and fakers out there. <laughs> Charlatans. People Nikita, people who know nothing. to go be a guest on Scam Goddess. People. And just let me have my segment, People who okay? know fucking nothing about mental health. Right? <laughs> but, but tweet about it. But Instagram about it. 
people who are giving all kinds of unhelpful, dare I say, dangerous advice. Lucky for us, the mental moment with money is not one such place. This is reputable, (laughs) empirical, real mental health tidbits (laughs) and insights from an actual mental health (laughs) practitioner. That is in essence what the mental moment with money is. And I'm going to leave it at that. And you know what? And if you felt... you were going to leave it at that. No. And if you felt attacked, good. Good. I don't think those people listen to this program, Nikki. Well, I hope they do. And I, you know what? I'm, I'm going to start a flame war. All, all these okay. fucking... Okay. Ooh, it's, this is why we can't record late at night. Because I'm about to... <laughs> We about to have no listeners and no community contributors because I'm gonna be off the rails. Yeah. But anyway, like I said, Montanique, money knows what she's talking about. She's been stud- not just studying this at the theoretical level, but has been an active Black feminist mental health practitioner. I have. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, if yeah. you want to say that you know therapy is only Rooted in okay, I'm, I'm done. Okay, Nikita. <laughs> so one so one of the, our listeners sent us this post that had like me and Nikita heated for a, a week, yeah. a week. But um, I think for different reasons, like we approached it from different perspectives, but very much so the same thing. And I think I would just say, uh, since Nikita likes to uh, apparently open my segment with throwing shots at other people these days this is your 2021 bag huh um i i think i think that these critiques of therapy come from valid places yes they just land yes they just land with like the wrong conclusion montanique that is so comradely that that is the exact way wait excuse me that is the generous and comradely way to have this discussion. I'm so... and you, I mean, this is after a whole week of cussing people out on Instagram. So, you know, I, I had to arrive to this place. I had to work through work through my emotion uh, to come to this. Work through your yeah. emotion? You said work through your emotions? That's right. Oh, okay. So, yes. like... Affective process. I must say using skills. Okay, I'm done. And you know what? I'm done. I'm done. <laughs> you know, it's just like... um. Yeah, I think it's very valid that queer folks have been, you know, uh, hurt and don't have the best experiences in therapy with therapists. Uh, You know, I did a whole mental moment on how this whole field owes us reparations as queer folks. Um, And, you know, I think that I just think that something about social media is like people latch on to these terms and these words and concept. Yeah. Is what you say? Concept creep. It's like the idea. Yes. Yeah. It's like an idea is just kind of like people get excited about it. And then like the people use terms so much. And yep. then they just kind of creep further and further away from, yes. you know, their intended meanings and, you know, understandings. Exactly. So, you know, I'm the first one. I mean, y'all have heard my struggle to get 
to get the credentials, to get license. Like I have very explicitly said that licensure is like a capitalist ex- uh, exploitative process that privileges white folks, you know? So it's like, I am the first one to to be critical of how exclusive um, this like road to becoming a therapist is. But that's that's a different thing than saying therapy is white supremacy. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's like, come on, y'all. Come on, y'all. Like, we, if we demarcated everything at its institutionalized beginning, like, that in and of itself is a, is a, a white supremacist, uh, thing to do. To say that something only started when the academy said it started. Yeah. Like, when it became a field of study. Like, no, we've been this. We've been, we've been this. So, um, I went on, like, I won't say more about this here, but I just, I did a long post on Facebook and y'all know I don't even be on Facebook about like the origins of social, uh, social work and how social work was a community demand, right? Like this was a, a demand of the people to, uh, help have support when interfacing with organizations and institutions. So that's, that's another conversation for another day. It's just, uh, you know, Nikita started off throwing shots so i just wanted to kind of clarify what some of that was um all right you so basically trying to clean up some of the debris that's okay i appreciate it that was the right I'm thing not, it's just you know i really didn't want to like do a whole mental moment on that because first of all like i said last time for whatever reason these pages they garner like so much support and following that they don't need me and my 200 followers on my precious podcast that I spend my time curating, like giving them any more airtime. You know, it's like you got 200 some odd thousand followers. Talk your shit, <laughs> whatever. Um, but in the meantime, when, you know, when folks actually need help, I'll be here. So uh, so this mental moment. I wanted to talk about making therapy affordable because this, I mean, this was real before the pandemic, but I know a lot of us have had changes to our income, um, changes to budgets, all these kind of things during uh, this past almost year. So this mental moment I called, oh, you can't afford therapy? Here are some O's for options that are more affordable. Is this your but, Young and May moment? Ooh. It's not ooh. ooh. It's O. It's O. It's different. It's different. Okay. So here are some O's, because y'all know I love alliteration, or to be more specific, assonance, because O is a vowel. Um, <laughs> To help uh, therapy be more affordable for you. All right. So the first one, my first O is Open Path. If y'all have not heard of Open Path, I'll put the link in the description to this episode. Please check it out. It's called Open Path Collective. um, And that you can find them over at openpathcollective.org. And essentially, it's right there in the title. Open Path is attempting to open pathways to to mental health services for folks who couldn't usually afford them. Of course, that means that they're uh, queer, of color, inclusive. And you can get a, you can get sessions through Open Path 
for as little as $30 a session. And I think on the higher end, sessions are like $80. A lot more affordable than the average range of full price therapy sessions that can be anywhere from $120 to $300. So Open Path is really bringing that slide scale down, bitch. So I encourage you all... I encourage you all to head over to Open Path. It is such, such, such an incredible um, resource. They have, and and I also, I think I want to say as an aside, just because you're paying less for the therapy don't mean that you're getting a lower quality therapy. Um, a lot of the, the queer therapists that I know and admire uh, take Open Path. Uh, they do generous sliding scales, all kind of stuff. So you still get in the same person who's committed to the same principles of mental health or wellness, who's licensed in whatever jurisdiction, who got this, this credential and that credential. You just don't got to pay <laughs> their full fee for it. So head over to Open Path. Um, I can't, uh, tell y'all enough how dope Open Path is. I first heard about Open Path through, uh, Kenya therapy. Um, and I should put, I should put her, uh, at in the, the description to this episode too, because she put me onto a lot of, uh, of just like resources where you can find queer affirmative or queer identified therapists of color. So shout out to Kenya. All right. So that's my first O, open path. My second O, uh, is to opt for group therapy. Um, especially now in these times, I think so much of the anxiety of the moment is around the social isolation that we've been experiencing. I did a whole mental moment on the benefits of group therapy in episode 72. If you want to go back and check episode 72 out, um, group, group therapy is just dope as hell. Like, <laughs> um, for a, for a lot of, I'll just say this really quickly. A lot of times, Having therapy only focused on you is intimidating for a lot of folks. And you just feel more comfortable in like group settings, right? And so group therapy is a a perfect, perfect space for that. It doesn't have to only be focused on you. I love the like peer learning and the peer support that happens in group therapy. And it's still facilitated by a therapist who's there. So um, there's different types of group therapy. Some group therapy is focused on a specific presenting problem, like everybody who's there is working through the same thing or other group therapy is like identity specific. So this is like a group, a group session for, uh, for black lesbians, for example, you know, um, and often group therapy is way more affordable than individual counseling sessions. So opt for group therapy. And I encourage you to check out episode 72 of Queer Walk the podcast to hear more about how dope group therapy is. My third O is options for sliding scale. Make sure you ask your therapist if they have sliding scale options. So every therapist of color I know, they have their advertised price and then they have the price that they are willing to take for you to get your ass in the session. Yeah. Yeah. So um, never, never be afraid to ask a therapist, even if you're in therapy now with somebody and you're seeing them and okay, finances change. I can't make that copay right now. Is there anything that you are willing to do? Um, Like I said, every therapist of color I know 
has has a sliding scale option. Um, and if that sliding scale needs to slide down a little bit more, <laughs> don't be afraid to ask that either. I'm telling y'all, uh, every therapist I know has an absolute bottom that they're willing to take. Um, and then their advertised price, you know, uh, that people who can have the, who have the means can pay that. Uh, and it offsets the cost of therapy for other people. I know some therapists who they do, um, like full, full fee for folks who can afford to pay it. And then they have like five or so slots that are open for complete, for totally free sessions. So just ask. There's nothing wrong with asking about options for a sliding scale. Number four is organizations and school counseling centers. I think I said this on a past episode too, but it bears repeating. Um, You know, repetition helps stuff sink in. Check with local uh, community-based organizations. They usually have lower fees than private practices um, or large group therapy practices. Um, so places like hospitals, community agencies, they often have uh, therapists, social workers that you can see for sessions at low or no cost. A lot of them have grants where um, they just have a mental health professional that they pay. So you all you got to do is do the paperwork to be enrolled. So check out some some agencies around you and any university that has a, a mental health counseling yep. program. A mental health center, they often have a training clinic where the students who are active in the program are seeing clients for free or very little, like five to $25 per session. So check those out. If there's a school in your area that has a master's or a PhD program in any kind of counseling, chances are they also have a clinic where you can go be seen for, um, much, much lower fees than you would be paying if you were paying for a private practice therapist. So organizations and school counseling centers. And last but not least, because at the beginning of this, I was talking about how hot I was. So my last O is organize a support group. So contrary to what's happening on social media, where there's this, um, there's, there's, I feel like there's this opposition being created yep, yep. against peer peer support versus therapy, right? Um, and like these, again, like I said, like these valid critiques of therapy being like this inherently hierarchical, whatever, whatever, and like peer support not being that, um, and being like an older practice. I, I. <laughs> I, I mean, I'm not, I'm not going to go into the like weeds of this, but like peer support is also like a regulated thing. It's often overseen by licensed therapists. Uh, you can become a credentialed peer support specialist. And I think that, I think just, uh, putting them against each other is just like a dangerous thing to do. Um, it paints therapy as like a non-radical space and peer support as this, you know, radical alternative. It also assumes that therapists ain't never been through shit and don't also have life uh, experiences um, to pull from in doing this stuff. It's just, I just, I just think that they work together to support all of our um, mental wellness. It's, it's not an either or of like, fuck therapy because peer support is where it's at. When peer support in and of itself is, is a, 
an aspect of therapy. Like, okay. But um, so along that vein, uh, organizing a support group. So I feel like it goes without saying we we say community so much on every episode that <laughs> goodness, that's probably like the if if this was a, a academic paper, it would be Queer Rock the Podcast colon community. Like <laughs> that would that would be after the colon. <laughs> but <laughs> there's there's so much that comes from just being like validated and sitting with folks who who share common experiences with you and you don't have to uh, sometimes maybe it's maybe it's not therapy right maybe every hurdle has made it to where the um it's just completely inaccessible for you right now that's not stopping you from creating like a mutual aid mental health network right (laughs) right so when we hop on our zoom chats with all of our friends and pour into each other that is uh, a form of care, community care for one another. Um, I when when I say organize a support group, though, I mean like making it consistent. That I think that's one of the big things about therapy that makes it work. The right? Is that it's a it. it's a consistency, yeah. yeah. And so, if you're gonna do a friend support group to make sure that all y'all mental health stay good through this shit, um, set up a time either weekly or bi-weekly, where y'all can all commit to being present and pouring into each other. I, you know, my in my professional opinion, I would suggest at least six sessions, you know, so y'all plan out six times y'all are going to meet. Uh, six, six seems to be the magic number, even in therapy sessions. Uh, research shows that that six to seven session is where stuff starts to actually feel like it's changing in your life. So um, get a group of folks together and commit to six six moments together. Yeah. So those are my O's for affording therapy. The first is open path. The second is opt for group therapy. And check out episode 72 of Crow Walk the Podcast. The third is options for sliding scale. The fourth is organizations and school counseling centers. And last but not least, organize a support group. Money, that was great. I think that there, that one thing that you said was really key is like these things are like should be working in tandem with like these things are not opposed. Yes, you know, to one another mm-hmm. or to different kinds of like therapeutic approaches, and I feel like that's something that's mm-hmm. really, really, really key that I feel like gets lost in the sauce. Exactly. So, so- I think you know we are all trying to build communities that don't. And when I say, well, not all of us, but, you know, the folks on our side are trying to build and imagine communities that we are not actively harmed in or harm each other in. And but until we get to that space of having that care community, we need every way we can to heal from the stuff that we've experienced. So, so, yeah. Try something out. If if it don't work, try something else. Try something else. That's right. And now our leftist, lesbian, luminary labor lecture from our little one. (laughs) That made you feel good, didn't it? Uh, Let me go back to earlier in the episode where you said somebody should throw me off a curb. I heard that was a, you know, a nasty thing said because of my height, but go ahead. (laughs) 
from our little one, Nikita. Ding, 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 ding. It's okay, Nikita. You know, I <laughs> I think five foot is the perfect height. No, you, you don't. We could. <laughs> you always talk about we how would you would never able... even date somebody this height. How we're, you don't even look in our direction. Nikita, I do look in your direction. I just can't see you because okay. I have to look down. But I, I never said I wouldn't date somebody five foot. Money. I could probably go back through the archives. In fact, I bet one of our astute listeners would be like, actually, money, in episode such and such. <laughs> it's a foot, a foot difference. That's a, uh, it's, it's dear, that's nearly a foot. I, I don't have to defend my preferences here. Um, okay. uh, spoken like a true bigot. <laughs> okay. In this segment, uh, Nikita gives us I would just say, she always says that the mental moment is the crown jewel, but the word really is um, the, it's like, you know, this is the audio syllabus. And you know, when you have a syllabus, you just want to flip to the assignments. The word is the assignments. Okay. It gives us our like marching orders, our organizing orders. Um, Nikita always breaks down some social justice jargon here, some, uh, article that she's read that she ties back into our community gives us the radical histories of how we got where we are now and where she just overall envisions queer liberation movements going in the future and so we love her for it only her little brilliant ass could do this and so why well, i got to keep being her. little <laughs> as i sit on my couch and my feet swing Without further ado, <laughs> Nikita, take it away. <laughs> You're so annoying. So it's so funny, even when we don't talk to prep for the show together, we're always somehow on the same wavelength. So as Money said, in talking about the Queer Walk of the Week, you know, it is in fact Black History Month. So something happened today. Um, unfortunately, somebody passed away. And this is a person who I think, I just wanted to talk a little bit about this person. It's not going to be like very in-depth. Uh, I I was getting in trouble for not posting the links and I've, I posted them into the document. So they're there and mm-hmm. ready to be perused and looked at. So by the time, this will be a few days old at the time of recording, but I was on social media and there's something I was, I was like, I don't really know what I want to talk about. And then I was on social media today and I saw that Karen Lewis, the former president of the Chicago Teachers Union, passed away. Now, Karen Lewis is so important because she was a black woman. And like I said, she was the president of the Chicago Teachers Union. And when people, one of the phrases I kept seeing people use to describe her that I thought was, I agree with, and I think is absolutely right, is that she is one of the most important labor leaders of the 20th and 21st century. Mm. Um, And I think it's rare 
I think especially given how people tend to think about unions, even though that like it's the kind of the trope and the stereotype of like a union worker is not actually does not actually match up to like the demographics in terms of who who's most likely to be union and um the kinds of issues that unions raise and it's so interesting because the Chicago Teachers Union is right now in the process of really neg- like trying to negotiate if not even negotiate fight for its members around making sure that like teachers in the CTU are saying hey we don't want to go back to school in person because it's not safe because we're still in the midst of the fucking pandemic, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And so this fighting spirit that we know that the you know the CTU, um, you know, has had, and I first personally became aware of Karen Lewis in 2012. So the Chicago's Teachers Union, for people who may not remember, or those who do remember, in 2012, uh, I think it was 2011 or 2012, the Chicago Teachers Union went on strike. And it wasn't just the fact that they went on strike, but um, they had widespread support from the community. Like, overwhelming support from parents and students. Mm. And so Karen Lewis was just a fierce, militant union worker and um, organizer. And so um, she was, prior to being holding office in the union, for 20-something years, Karen Lewis had been a chemistry teacher. And it wasn't just it wasn't just the fact that she was uh, a chemistry teacher, but she was a nationally board-certified teacher. And wow. the national a nationally board-certified teacher is one of the highest possible certifications yeah. available in K through 12. And she was, and as far as I know, and I think uh, this is about the fifth time I've referenced this book, Jay McAlevey's No Shortcuts. But oh my, in, you you reference it on every other episode. But she spends in in her book No Shortcuts. Jay McAlevey has one chapter dedicated to the Chicago Teachers Union. And so, and the interesting thing about Karen Lewis, it wasn't. Um, it wasn't just her, but, you know, we're, I'm talking about her because, you know, she's no longer with with us. Um, so Karen Lewis was a part of a slate in the CTU in 2009. They were part of a caucus, and the caucus was called CORE. And CORE stood for the Caucus of Rank-and-File Educators. And basically, it was a caucus that was really trying to implement a social justice democratic, small d democratic in terms of like democratizing like the organization Mm -hmm. and trying to make, and trying to push the union to take on like issues around school closures, gentrification and racism. The old guard in the CTU 
Um, it was basically leadership made all, you know, most of the decisions when contract negotiations were, negotiations would come around. The union officials, the union leadership would basically make these like backroom decision, decisions and backdoor deals. And the union, uh, union membership, the rank and file would be in the dark. So Karen Lewis was a part of this slate in 2009 to be at, and they were challenging the old guard in the CTU. And they were challenging things around like, so that was in essence what the strike in 2012 was about. Like if folks might remember the Chicago public, the Chicago public school was deeply under attack, right? Mm-hmm. And that was at the time when Rahm Emanuel was the mayor. And so Rahm Emanuel was, you know, liberal, you know, a, a Democrat. Uh, he was a, a neoliberal Democrat where he was pushing for charter schools, you know, school closures, and teachers were vilified, right? And they were basically like, like one of the things that I think Jay McAlevey points out is that, or no, I think it was in another article from In These Times, like the labor publication, Rahm Emanuel was trying to make it seem as if the CTU wanted to keep the status quo, right? And whereas he was saying that, like, you know, they didn't care about the students. And that's why, you know, he actually cared about students and not just students, but black and brown students. And that's why black and brown students needed to have charter schools, right? That's the kind of schools. And their their schools needed to be closed or privatized. And so you've got this slate of core of uh the caucus of uh rank and file educators that were like um and Kara Lewis was so key in this cuz she was like um actually um like our students deserve to have fully functioned well resourced and funded public schools. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so I'm going to try to find this quote. Oh, and I mean this the most respectful way possible, but Kara Lewis was also just a bad, a bad motherfucker, too. <laughs> so um, let me read. So she had an. Respectfully. Respectfully, respectfully right? <laughs> so um, when she's. So when the core caucus, when that, when the core slate, um, takes over defeating the old caucus in the union, this is what she says. Um, so she was like, so Kara Lewis was saying that there was a crisis in terms of like education in Chicago, right? And so she says, corporate America sees K through 12, K through 12 public education as 380 billion dollars that up until the last 10 or 15 years they didn't have a sizable piece of this so-called school reform is not an education plan it's a business plan Mm -hmm. 15 years ago this city purposely began starving our lowest income neighborhood schools of greatly needed resources and personnel class sizes rose and schools were closed then standardized tests, which in this town alone is a $60 million business, measured that slow death by starvation. These tests labeled our students, families, and educators' failures because standardized tests reveal more about a student's zip code than a student's academic growth. And so, yes. 
<laughs> right. And in the, I mean, she's yeah. just so sharp. And it's like, mm-hmm. um, like that was such a powerful, you know, sharp rebuke of like the privatization of education. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And it's important to point out one of the things that Jay McAlevey points out is that core, the, the caucus of rank and file educators got its start by reading this book together. And the book was called uh, The Shock Doctrine by Naomi Klein. And for folks who don't know, The Shock Doctrine was, um, this is Naomi Klein's book where she's talking about how capitalism, how neoliberal capitalism and like the our corporate rulers under neo neoliberal capitalism were using disasters to implement privatization and one of the um examples that she uses um in that book is what happened is the complete decimation of the public school system in New Orleans in the wake of hurricane mm-hmm. katrina yep. right and we know yep. that that is a race and a classed phenomenon so of course yep. Dealing with some very similar dynamics, it's not a coincidence that the like the caucus of rank and file educators was reading that book. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. And like that was mm-hmm. the book that helped like push them and inspire them to yes. actually make some kind of concrete change in their um, in their union, right? Mm-hmm. So the they end up having that that strike in 2012, and then just a few years later. Like in 2000, I think it was 2014, 2015, Kara Lewis um, was putting out feelers to run for mayor in Chicago. And unfortunately, she um, ended up having some health issues. And so she passed recently because of uh, issues related to brain cancer. And and unfortunately, those um, health issues took her out of the running um, of mayor, to be the mayor. Mm -hmm. But... She was also known for being quite a firebrand. And I've mentioned uh, Rahm Emanuel a lot. And there's this part that was so fucking hilarious to me where, um, so I guess she was just a no holds barred, tell it like it is kind of person. Like that was the reputation that she had. And so somebody was, um, so they had a meeting, like the CTU was having a meeting with Rahm Emanuel and Rahm Emanuel got really nasty with Karen uh, Lewis in this meeting. I think it was around contract negotiations. And so Karen Lewis report, somebody asked her like, what was, what happened in that meeting? And she said, Ron Emanuel said, well, what the fuck do you want? And she responded more than you fucking got. <laughs> right. And so, um, like that's just the kind that's just kind of bad motherfucker that Karen Lewis was, right? <laughs> and something the one of the last things that I'll um well there's two things I want to end on. So one of the one of the reports she said, give me everything you she got said she says for more Chicago public schools. <laughs> what the fuck you got? What the fuck do you want? More than you fucking got. <laughs> but here's the thing that I think is so powerful about her leadership. And I think when you look at, and you just think about the wave of um, teacher strikes that have happened in like the Mm -hmm. last three to five years, it's like, it is no, it is not an overstatement to say that that is because of the leadership. Like 
the CTU, the Chicago Teachers Union, under Karen Lewis's leadership has really been a beacon, not just for teachers, but for the labor movement as a whole. And they put to they put a report together in the midst of like the uh, their contract negotiations. And the report was titled The Chicago The Schools Chicago Students Deserve. Uh, research-based proposals to strengthen elementary and secondary education in Chicago public schools. And just listen to these kinds of demands or the the recommendations because they're really key. So it's like they're talking about um, having small class sizes, educating the whole child, meaning art, gym, theater, dance, music, and other like sort of electives and activities. Create more robust wraparound services, such as free transit fares, more school nurses, uh, addressing inequalities in the school system, described as de facto apartheid, um, and then lifting respect and develop the professionals, lift all salaries, hire more classroom aides, um, provide quality facilities, and fully fund education. And the thing that is so powerful and the thing that was so inspiring it inspiring about the CTU that they did masterfully was that they connected the working conditions of the students, uh, the working conditions of the teachers and other staff to the learning conditions of learning. the students, yeah. right? Mm-hmm. And so in this article from In These Times is from 2014 where someone basically did kind of like a post-mortem on uh, Karen Lewis's run for uh, mayor. And like, these are some of the things that she was supporting. And as a labor, and she was, this was like unheard of for a labor leader. And it's not a coincidence that she was supporting these things as a black, you know, as a, not just like as a union militant, but as a black woman u- union militant. So some of the things that she was supporting, like she expressed explicit public support and endorsed um, was um, fi- supporting um, financial uh, transactions tax. Uh, it's basically taxing the rich, right? Which would generate billions of dollars for the city's treasury. She supported $15 an hour minimum wage. And, you know, obviously, and she always made the link between poverty and violence and the, the talk about why prioritizing higher wages and union rights were critical, um, not just as a workers' rights issue, but as a social justice issue. And I remember when I talked about reparations, I talked about this, the John, um, about the, the torture of yeah. J- by the, the Chicago police commander, John Budge, John Burge. So that was the police commander that had been, that was basically presiding over this barbaric regime of torture of like black folks, particularly like black men in Chicago. And so as the president of the Chicago's teachers union, Karen Lewis endorsed an ordinance uh, to support the reparations to those victims of the police torture. You know what I mean? Yes. And so Mm -hmm. that to me is just so key and it's just so critical because like this is just not who like this like this is like the kind of like profound inspiring like social justice anti racist unionism that mm-hmm. like we desperately need in our country and like it's not a coincidence mm-hmm. again that it was a black woman that led the CTU mm-hmm. that like ushered in um like and created this new wave and this new generation 
of like left-wing insurgent militant teacher organizers and union uh, militants. And so, I don't know, it's like, I think that there's also a way in which we always talk about unions just like focusing on just like wages and bread and butter issues. But what, again, the power of the CTU is that they were able to expand to talk about gentrification, right? And again, yeah. stopping the attacks, not just on public um public schools, but like making the connection to the broader attacks on like public sector workers um, more Mm -hmm. broadly. And it's just so important to me that like one of the most important labor leaders of our time um, is, um, you know, is and was a black woman like Karen Lewis. Mm -hmm. So Mm -hmm. we just hope that she uh, rests in power and rests in peace. And it's like her legacy. Like we can, it's just so wild because it's like, we can see, we are, when you think about what was going on in West Virginia, when you think about what was going on in mm-hmm. LA and in Arizona, it's like that to me, again, is a living legacy of um, Karen Lewis. And I know that so many people, myself included, were and have been and will continue to be inspired by her legacy. So I think that's just an important piece of Black history, you know, that we should uh, talk about, celebrate, and amplify right now. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. I love that you kept saying like black militant histories. Yes. Like, that and that uh you know this is you know her legacy cast this big shadow but this is like now. Yeah. This is the now. Yeah. We're doing this stuff. Yes. Currently. Yeah. I I really appreciate you um speaking out I, I what what do I want to say? The exalted ancestor Karen Lewis into the space. Um, but I also was just thinking about you. You said it kind of, I think, like just in passing that there's the stereotype of who union members are, and then there's like who is actually most likely to be yeah. a union member. Right. So, yeah, yeah. And I just always appreciate uh, you highlighting that and talking about the black women who are doing. Incredible labor organizing in unions. So. Exactly. Thank you, Nikita. Um, so Nikita has the link to the Indies Times article on Karen Lewis and also the bookshop link to um so y'all can pick up no shortcuts. Yes. The book that Nikita This is like my sixth time That's- referencing it in like the past <laughs> like four episodes. So Yeah. And also, if anybody has a connect with Bookshop, like, come on, the Insurgent Biweekly Audio. Thank syllabus. you. We, we, you know, we should we should uh, have a connect at Bookshop. At least get a, a discount code for Quailock something. <laughs> All right, so uh, we're gonna move it on along to our topic segment. Our topic segment is like our. Queer potpourri segment is where we discuss all the things that don't fit into our other segments. But today, on this episode, we, we're going to do a combined yeah. like topic curve chronicle. Yeah. Okay, because our topic is also like a curved chronicle, and um, our curved chronicles is where we talk about dating woes and wins of in our lives and in your lives. Yeah. So, uh, do we need a a like yeah? A pseudonym for this writer. Yeah. Let's call her Roz. Roz. Mm-hmm. Okay. 
Um, so Roz wrote us a letter, and it's a pretty lengthy one. So me and Nikita are gonna take turns reading. Lengthy. Oh, all right. You want me to take the first half? Yeah, the first part. Take the first two paragraphs. All right. Hey, Money and Nikita, Roz writes. I hope you both are safe and doing well, however you're defining that for yourselves these days. I don't expect you to share this letter or anything, but if you do, you can just omit my name and, or give me a fake one, which we did, Roz. Mm-hmm. And why would you think we didn't read it? We love getting letters from y'all, okay? Like, we need topic suggestions. Yeah. We we need, please write us, write us, write us. I've been dragging my heels. So Roz continues. I've been dragging my heels on sending this, but thought to reach out a couple months ago. To try to condense it, my main questions for you all are this. Have either of you felt the need to break up a romantic relationship, but were afraid of how that might exacerbate the other person's mental health struggles? Also, what is your experience of knowledge with relationships regenerate? renegotiation, romantic friendships, all kinds, especially with fellow friends, activists, slash POCs in queer and trans community. All right. So some context. My partner and I have known each other generally for 15 to 16 years uh, since we were in undergrad. We've been friends, then members and comrades of the queer community, then over a decade later dated. So fall of 2016 coughed up a ton of challenging stuff in both of our lives, but I noticed some questionable patterns that I wasn't able to shoulder on my own as this person more and more began to say, quote, you're the only thing worth staying alive for, unquote, and things like Mm -hmm. that. We dated a little over a year, then I broke it off at the end of 2016 when I realized I needed to be one of their best friends again but couldn't do that as their girlfriend. We did remain friends and that was actually good but it was challenging and particularly tough for them because they still wanted us to be together. However, we remained in contact as support system friends through that. Last summer, we started dating again. This is so gay. I do not regret it. It's just become clearer to me that we continue to be in different places in life and want different things in our personal lives, to put it succinctly. I've felt the need to shift course for several months now, but there's always something grand or challenging or a new epiphany that they seem to be going through that really shakes them that I felt is urgent or just critical, and and I see how I can support them through that. Uh, just as chosen family uh, from all these years. Plus, ending something during the pandemic, I guess, just felt rude or damaging. I don't know. Hmm. After lots of self-work and with the help of a counselor for a while, I realized how much I put my life on hold in some ways by doing this. I know that staying in a situation out of fear, even if it's fear of someone getting hurt, is not the way I do honest or loving living. And it's not in line with my values of liberation or how I do queer community, to be honest. I really believe in finding the iterations that best help us all get free chapter by chapter, even if those chapters end or even don't end up being ones we much cared for. 
We both have agreed throughout the years that we are chosen family no matter what we become to each other, but I'm struggling with timing and next steps. I'm afraid of re-traumatizing them. They've described losing me the first time as traumatic experience, whether it was or not. How they described it reveals something. What does it reveal, Roz? No, okay, let me finish. Uh, it sounds like we're both keen to talk to talk relation to talk relationship stuff soon, especially as they enter their final year of grad school. So I'm grateful for that. But each time they share more of what they've been going through during the pandemic and our current uprisings, uh, I think, damn, what would a breakup do to them now? It's starting to affect me in adverse ways and has forced me to evaluate how much I believe in my own desires. I'm good with myself and my own company and investing in my future, but I'm stuck with this because of the history and the worry about their mental health. I am horrible at letting people down knowingly. If ever if ever there was a year to step up my dedication to my own black ass, black girl magical life, <laughs> it truly is magical. This is it. I want to assert myself, but mindfully, not recklessly. Do you have any advice or thoughts about how to go about discussing a shift and how to approach our connection? That's a lot there. So it's a lot of context, but it feels like you've already made the decision and it's clear what type of relationship you need to have to this person. Mm. And it's not an intimate partnership. Okay. I feel like they know that. Yeah. But I feel like the hard thing is how do I feel like it's a good question in terms of like how do you navigate like it seems clear to me, like we said, that Roz knows this, but how do you actually navigate and go through making whatever hard decisions, especially when somebody's got like I mean that phrase is like really telling when they're like when they said that that partner was like, you're the only thing worth staying alive for. Like, that's a lot of pressure. Mm-hmm. And it's like, it that's, and we all, especially as queer people of color, it's like, we know that the mental health stuff and the isolation, especially in the middle of a pandemic, is really difficult. Mm-hmm. So it's like, I could imagine, how do you not, I guess, I guess basically the question that they're asking and the question I want to ask you is like, how do you not be immobilized by the guilt? Or afraid, you know what I'm saying? Because that's really what it's about. So it's Mm -hmm. like, Mm -hmm. how do I make a decision that's good for me, but that's going to be like mm -hmm. pretty devastating or hurtful to somebody who I like love and care about? Yeah. So when I think about guilt, it is an emotion of I have done something wrong. And in this situation, you are not doing anything wrong. You you are not hurting this person, uh, like you know, physically or anything. This is not an an abusive thing to end one type of relationship and still want to be in community with somebody. I think exactly what Nikita said. Like it's a lot of weight to hang all of your mental well being on somebody else. This is like really uh, randomly making me think of Jules and Rue from Oh Yeah. Like, you know, Rue really like hung her sobriety on jewels. And that that's just a lot of weight to make someone else responsible for. And it's it's like actually really unfair to do yeah. so. So I mean the fir- the first thing I think is like 
being in a partnership in a relationship with somebody is not the only way that someone gets to be in your life or even Mm -hmm. contribute to yours yeah so we can remain in a community and it sounds like y'all have done that effectively throughout your 16 years of knowing each other like you said y'all y'all went from friends to comrades to then dating to back to friends. So they know that you are going to be a person in their life, even if you aren't together. Um, I think that, yeah, the thing about guilt is like you have to start to externalize it. Like, what is it that you're feeling like you're doing wrong? You're, you quite literally aren't doing anything wrong in like preserving yourself and recognizing that this is not an intimate relationship that adds to either of you. Yeah. Um, it's not just, not just you, this person, your partner too. Um, and that you are so much more effective at supporting, um, caring for one another outside of, uh, an intimate relationship. I think this way that they're framing loss of you as if you fell out of their life is a little unfair. It's, it's overlooking. I have I have a rant in me about this for another day, but I think a lot of people think of friendships as like flimsy, as not as important yeah, as other types yeah. of relationships. You are still there for this person <laughs> if you are um connected in other ways. And so to frame it as like losing you, as a loss of you, um like they had to like grieve you in some way. It's like Sure, you have to grieve the relationship that ended like you're not their girlfriend anymore, but you are still there. You're still a, a active contributing part of their social network. So um I think so highlighting that might be helpful. Is that what you were thinking, Nikita, about how to move through the guilt? No, I do I wasn't thinking anything. I like I mm-hmm. I feel like I needed I feel like I couldn't articulate it nearly as well as you just did. That's why I was like. Mm-hmm. Something I ask people when I'm working with them in like relational therapy uh, is, is this, is this the way you want to have a relationship? Yeah. And so when I think about having a relationship and I, I even think about the, like thinking about the other person, right? Uh, would you want me to say that I am with you because I feel so I was thinking that, that yeah you know like there's something feel, about that I, that's like very patronizing yeah. and that yep. that actually will mm-hmm. not feel good yep yeah I'm I'm so concerned about your mental health that like I feel like sort of guilted into staying yeah. in this relationship it's it, if you're not enthusiastically, you know, right. <laughs> in a relationship with me, that's not the type of relationship I want. I hear Roz writing through like her frustration in this letter, but I just think that it can't, it can't feel as good as this person is making it out to be that, that y'all are in this situation yeah. either. I mean, the only thing I worry, I think that you're right when you say like, you know, they've navigated this before, but something they mentioned earlier in the letter was that, I guess I wondered to what extent the other person, the partner or the former partner was like actually having a sincere friendship with them. Or was it like a, I'm going to say that we're friends, but I'm secretly Mm -hmm. hoping Mm 
mm-hmm. that we go back to being more than friends or something else. Cause mm-hmm, like that's, mm-hmm. cause the second part of the question is like how to renegotiate, you know, these different kinds of relationships, you know, transition yeah. from one relationship to the other. And it's like, I know that in my experience, I think it can be, I think that gets tough because it can be easy to like pretend, not pretend, that's maybe not a fair word, but I think it can be easy to like trick yourself into thinking that it's like a very clear, clear cut platonic friendship when it's like sometimes like being in those relationships or like in the process of transitioning from one kind of relationship to another, I think it can be really difficult, mm-hmm. right? You know what I mean? It's like, it's not mm-hmm. as clear cut mm-hmm. and as easy, I think, uh, as we would like it to be. And so sometimes I think it doesn't have to be like permanent space, but sometimes I wonder if like a little bit of space might be absolutely like important. Does that make sense? Oh, yeah. yeah. That's the first, that was the first um, thing I was going to say is, um, and renegotiating, you need space. You need space away. Space and time, um, yeah. Yes, yeah. Uh, especially when it seems like somebody who is, like, so um, activated by a relational connection yeah, with you. Yeah, Like, ending, ending it in one form and giving each other space and time to sort of uh, breathe and grieve that ending. Yeah. Then to renegotiate the type of friendship that you all need. And absolutely... Exactly what you said, Nikita. Like having an authentic friendship, <laughs> uh, a mutually respectful friendship, and not just sort of like waiting around to to see if this will rekindle again. Yeah. Um, like can can you love me in this other way? Can you be in community with me in this in other, these other way? ways? Yeah. Other, right, and see other parts of me. Um, yeah. I mean, I don't have no, you know, I wish I had like a little cheat sheet for how to renegotiate relationships, but it's really, um, it's really just the slow work of constantly communicating with with each other. Like, uh, what, what is going to be different about a friendship with each other than a relationship? Yeah. Like what's, what's going to be those things? What are your boundaries in a friendship? With an ex, you know, is this, is it like we can be friends, but I can't be the friend that you talk to about your new bae right, or whatever, right. you know, like be honest with yourself about what would feel good for you in a friendship. Yeah. Yeah. Be honest with mm-hmm. them. And I think most importantly, be honest with yourself. Ooh, mm-hmm. Lord, because I've done that. It's like, no, it's fine. It's great. And that's when the narrator was like, it was not, in fact, great. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. Um, I just want to like uh add another thing to this, maybe sort of like a strategy for Roz who wrote the letter. Um y'all have a lot of shared community and I think this is a thing that a lot of queer folks yes. of color like experience when we date each other. Even queer people in general, it's like yeah, we break up but we still going to see each other at all the kickbacks. Yeah. So, <laughs> maybe maybe not so many of the kickbacks in the, the pandemic. Maybe we still going to be on all the same Zoom calls, but uh, so like make this sort of be like a community thing like 
This you, it sounds like this person obviously needs a lot of support yeah, around yeah, yeah. mental stability, you know, staying okay, which is fine. You know, we all we all have our ups and downs. And uh it sounds like they they've been like going to therapy, they you know, trying to get stuff together, that's fine. So being honest about how this is gonna change y'all community spaces as well, right? Yeah. So um, I don't know how comfortable y'all are with talking with your friends in general. I, I mean, I, I, I literally did a research study on, on political couples. So, so there's, there's examples of this before I'm thinking specifically about a Zapatista couple that I wrote about in my dissertation who they got, you know, they got the homies together and was like, look, we're breaking up. And I, while we, this love situation is not working out between us, we are still very much so politically committed to each other and we don't want this to impact the organizing, right? Yeah. So like how having that open conversation with their friend group, with their organizing groups, um, I think this also takes some of that weight off of being the only the person only who sustains person, them. Yeah. Yeah. Like we, we are sustained in community. It's the way that we're supposed to be. We're supposed to have a network, right? If Nikita was the only person I had to depend on for stability, I would be in terrible shape because as y'all see, she's always degrading me. That's not so, even <laughs> remotely true. Thankfully, I have a whole, um, web of support yeah. that I can reach out to. Yeah. Money does have a lot of support. Is the, yeah. and it's second rate support compared to my support, but it is support oh nonetheless. Here we go. I don't believe in hierarchies of support. Oh, I do. So I'm a support anarchist. Oh so. my <laughs> fucking god! Make a um, make a cute image of it and put it on Instagram. Okay, I'm done. I'm done. <laughs> but yeah, Roz. So um, yeah, I mean, I'm even thinking about things like safety planning. Uh, in therapy so yeah i've i've done yeah i've done this thing before where if we're doing um like self-harm safety planning i'll be like okay invite invite your friends right invite your friends to the sessions who you've trusted to tell about like self-harm and, and who you can call on when you feel down right right, right. um who who's gonna show up with like the popcorn in the movie when you feeling right, down right. at night, you know, like um having actually inviting other people to this conversation about like, y'all know we love each other. Um, we've just decided to end our relationship, but we still very much so want to be in community with one another. Yeah. So we need y'all we need y'all support through this. Yeah. That's uh, you don't oh, have man, to do that's it so by healthy. How come you didn't tell me that about a year ago? Never mind. Well, Nikita, you're not a really receptive person to feedback when you are experiencing relationship disillusionment. That's all. Disillusionment? <laughs> Actually, I don't know. I was probably more like a... I don't think I had the maturity to do that. To be like, oh, this Nikita is... Nikita just goes, it's fine, it's fine, it's fine. And then she gets angry at you for no reason. That's not true. And then because I would have been like on your living room floor right. and goes through a whole okay. roll of toilet tissue crying. Okay. Anyway, that's we're gonna be sure to edit that out. But um, because <laughs> it's like no, that's like the healthy to be like, hey, like we're dealing with this community. Mm-hmm. I feel like my not so closeted thing was, hey friends, this is happening. If you don't choose me, you're dead to me. 
Exactly. That I think that's healthy. When, no, it's not. When y'all operate in the same communities, Nikita, that that could cause like a a breakup of of like vibrant communities that just don't need to happen. Like I feel like so many communities have fallen apart over some petty shit that people just could have talked out. And I will and that's not external to me. Like there are so many communities that I was a part of that I'm like, I really can't call this this person now right. over some some petty shit that could have easily been no aired out. I feel like you're being very mature in this episode, and I don't know what this is about. <laughs> I'm not. So you saying I'm not mature, bitch? No, I'm saying I'm you mature. are, and I'm just like this is. I'm like I don't like it. Gross, yuck. What? I don't want it. <laughs> you're like, oh, okay, well. community should be. I feel like you're like. These are the things I normally believe, and it's like actually getting on my nerves that you're being so thoughtful, mature, and all of this, that, and the third. I'm like, no, I'm like scorched earth, tear these motherfuckers to parts, discord (laughs) all up and through, and you're like, no, we can, whatever. (laughs) I won't even tell you the stuff money be saying on the phone, off mic. She can play. She can play these little black feminist games on the mic, but I know who she is for real. I could be this person. I could talk through like how to how to work through breaking up and still staying in community with somebody. This is what I do. I bet this, I, I know, do. but still, but there's also times when you can be petty. I'm like, where's petty money? Uh, I'm like, I'm bored <laughs> with the maturity. The same way you have to put work into having healthy relationships, you also have to put work into having healthy friendships. Yeah. And so. Um, yeah. No, I mean, in all seriousness, I feel like everything you said about this is spot on and right. And I agree with it, even if that might not be my initial reaction. I know that that is the place that I would ultimately land and want to land. Yes. Where where would you want to be in this? (sighs) Yeah, exactly. And I feel like I've experienced it enough, like... I have I have experienced um, Nikita's like if you don't choose my side you're dead to me enough times to know what it feels like to be in who who when have you experienced that (laughs) Nikita (laughs) you want me to list them list them (laughs) Nikita list them Nikita Alize list it you want (laughs) Alize list it yeah. Yeah. You're you're in a mode of I guess like self self uh def, uh you just want to feel bad about yourself right now. No, that's not, I don't want to feel bad about around. myself at all. It's like I exactly. want to be scorched earth around everyone else. Here's the thing. Here's here's the magic. Nikita knows that there has been more than one instance in which No, it's not. I have had Somebody... to navigate my friendships with her paramours. <laughs> because I I have had long standing grudges, like like have told myself that it's on site with people over Nikita's little ass, and she's just perfectly fine with them now. But what does she do in community? If you fuck with them, you're dead to me. So how does that? How is that <laughs> in opposition to you 
ready to fight somebody. I'm saying, I want you to fight somebody. Yes, you're saying you want me to fight somebody. Meanwhile, y'all have reconciled. Y'all are kicking it. Y'all are cool. That's not true for all of and them, though. I'm still over here because it's very hard for me. You know, my, my Venus is in Scorpio. It's all or nothing. So it's very hard for me to go from, you hurt my friend, it's fuck you forever, to, huh. <laughs> and I actually think, Nikita, you don't want to go here. You see how... Nikita don't never give us a curve chronicle, but her messy ass is over here with all these curve chronicles. I actually think that situation was very different. I don't think that somebody hurt you and I needed to fight them on site. That was not what happened in that situation. You know it. That's you know that. You must remember it differently than I do. (laughs) (laughs) Terrible whore. You're such a Wow, so much for the sex positivity on this show. <laughs> well, if you're going to be a whore, be a good one. Huh. Oh, my. I mean, all of that's... Wa- in, in all seriousness, all of those things are water under the bridge. I, I'm not on bad terms with any former flames, See? lovers, this exes. Is, this is, Nikita can recover from things. I don't know what it is about her. Meanwhile, me, like... My my exes hate me like burning fire hatred. I am blocked. I am but <laughs> I f- even people I've just talked to like not but even that is like. But I'm a very polarizing character. But but that's what I'm saying. In the midst of these things, it feels I feel very. It feels very polarizing to me. How how are you able to go from oh it's so polarizing in the moment. And then y'all are cool. Because Cause you I know, never get to the we're cool place. I just am no longer if I have any kind of romantic or like non-platonic whatever with somebody, we just will never be in community again. That I mean, that has that's not the uh the exception, that's the rule for me in my <laughs> in my uh relational life. I don't know what I, I don't know. I think it also I wonder if it has something to do with the fact that most people I've been in a relationship with, I've had some prior, some like pretty serious prior friendship or connection with them. So it feels yes. important. Like at the end of the day, it does feel important. No matter how intense my feelings may feel in the moment, it feels important to try to salvage and save mm-hmm. that relationship. Mm-hmm. I think mm-hmm. that's probably Because y'all had a friendship Yeah, yeah, before. yeah. Yeah, yeah. See, yeah, that's not me. Like you said it on the thing. You be like, oh, who's that with the locks? That's What are you talking about? So you're not like having whatever relationships with your friends. It's like, oh, look at that. Who's, you know, who's that hottie with the locks at the, uh, mm-hmm. what's that called? Juicy booty party? What's it? Juicy butt? Juicy fruit? There's no such, there's no such thing. Poppy juice. Juicy booty. Poppy juice, juicy, bro. juicy booty, poppy juice. It's it really it's all sounds juice. the same to me. <laughs> yeah, I mean, yeah, I think that is a difference. Yeah. Like I, I initiate relationships. Like yeah, like it's very quick for me. Like oh, you, you're a friend, or ooh, yeah, or oh, <laughs> not in the therapeutic <laughs> oh though, right? 
Uh, no, no. If no, if if I see you as a client, like it, everything just dries right up. <laughs> yeah, it's, I'm very compartmentalized when it comes to yeah, of course <laughs> attraction. Yeah, well, so. also there's a million ethical things against that. So, well, of course I'm bound by law and ethical code to <laughs> not engage in. <laughs> sexual relationships with clients. <laughs> I think that's a perfect note to end on. <laughs> oh, wait. I wanted to talk about being uh, catfished. Okay. Oh, my fucking God. <laughs> we could talk about it on the next episode. No, we have to talk about this now. Also, cat. speaking of catfish, I tweeted about this, but I feel like I got catfish with the silhouette challenge because how was I supposed to know that that was a filter? <laughs> oh my God, Nikita. I was like, why does everybody have the exact same red light that has the same exact hue? I think that that, th- you catfished yourself. Because what makes more sense, Nikita? It's the internet. It's the age of apps. I've I don't even know how to we use have- I've never I don't even know how to use a filter. <laughs> so it was not it was the furthest thing from my mind that I was like there's no like it didn't even occur to me that that could have been a you filter. Thought that there was some like standard issue red light. I just that thought that every- people were buying some like everybody went on the internet and typed in sultry seductive silhouette light. <laughs> Anyway, catfish. What's your catfish anyway, tale? My, my curve chronicle. Please catfish. do my catfish curve chronicle. Yeah. Okay, y'all. So, <clears throat> you know, I'm on the apps, uh, trying mostly just trying to connect and meet people. It's very isolating out here, solo quarantining in Tacoma, and I matched with this person who I thought was a brown person. I sent Nikita the pictures. What did you think? I don't even know. The picture looked like a little androgynous POC person. Yes. Right. Yes. Very, very my my cup of tea. (laughs) I like the androgynous, gender fluid, you know. Uh, masculine presenting, but femme of center. Yeah, whatever yeah. you know, like that's my thing. And so I'm like, mm, okay, okay. Um, and I showed. So we we were gonna do like this, uh, you know, coffee run, right? Because uh, you know, everything has to be outdoors, quarantine, pandemic. And I show up, and it's like this tiny. Little white. Girl. They looked. Oh, that's another thing. They look like a super tall. They look like they yes! were about your height. Yes. Brown, POC, androgynous person. Yes. And what and, shows you know, up? A, a very small, petite little white girl. Yeah. And I was, I was just confused. It was like I, I don't think that. Cause you, cause, you, cause they said something. They were like, "Oh yeah, I cut my hair. This is not a haircut, okay? Yeah, I'm a black girl. I know the power of a of a hairstyle switch up. Yeah. This is not a hairstyle switch up. This is that's a whole different ass think, person. 
Exactly. It's very, it's giving that this is not you in the photos. Yeah. It's giving, uh, <laughs> Neve, uh, dear Neve. <laughs> I'm like, you just, uh, I, yeah. There's just like elements of somebody that don't change with a haircut. It's like, yeah. this, uh, you look significantly Like, like first and smaller. foremost, their race. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. I've gotten I've gotten a fair share of haircuts and I remain black after every single one. Every single one. That's just my experience though. Have I ever been catfished before? Like I think so, but not not to the extent to where the person shows up. Right. That's the um, thing. I'm like a different person. Why would you just sh- why would you even show up? Yeah. <laughs> That's guts. Yeah. That's guts. Yeah. I guess they figure, yeah. well, she, you know, she's already here anyway. Wild times. Wild times. Wow, wow, wow. Catfishing in a whole pandemic. That's dangerous, ain't it? I mean, if you're going to catfish, it might as well be during the pandemic. I guess. Well, that's on me. See, I don't be trying to give my phone number out. Or like any other way to contact me until right, I'm sure right, that right. this person is a yeah right a thing. So I, I could have video chatted or something before we met up, but I did not. So won't be caught slipping again. I will not. You know, I had this like whole like six year uh text te- text relationship uh with someone before. That didn't surprise like, me. Why does that not surprise you? You're just somebody who's like, uh, I mean, you're just like a classic extrovert. You just like crave connection. You don't know me. Okay, I don't. Well, if y'all have Curved Chronicles, you can submit them to QueerWalkPod at gmail.com. Or if y'all have questions like Roz. Roz, I really hope that our conversation about your situation helped at all. Let us know. Let us know. Um, Yeah, hit us up again. What would you do if you were Roz? Y'all can let us know. Use the hashtag QueerWalk to let give Roz some, you know, Advice. encouragement, some thoughts, exactly. yeah, some feedback. All right. Don't forget, y'all, the episode 100 giveaway. Um, The post will be up the same day this episode drops. So check us out on all the things. Um, Follow us. Tag a QueerWalk or a QueerPalk that you would love for us to celebrate or highlight as a QueerWalk of the Week. Um, and tag a friend that you think would love this insurgent bi-weekly audio syllabus. And all right, this has been Money, the Sleepless Sapphic. And this has been Nikita, your tired, tight cutie. Why exactly did you add tight in there? I just really needed the alliteration. Bye, y'all. Bye. <laughs>